0: Hello, and welcome to the Pacing the Pacers podcast. This is Nat Newell. I'm the Pacers editor for Indy Star. I am here with Wilson Moore. Um, Wilson's an intern for us, um, but he has been filling the, the void for us excellently on uh, the Pacers. Went on the most recent road trip, so we brought him on to talk about uh, where the Pacers are at. Um, let's start with the good news, uh, which is the rookie Benedict Matherin. Uh, Wilson, I mean, just uh, obviously he's had a great start to the season. Just tell us what you've seen from him so far. The thing that's really stood out to me about Matherin
1: is just his ability to impact a game even when shots aren't falling just how he can play defense he gets to the rim he's had double digit free throw attempts a couple times to- a couple times this year and just by playing hard cutting going to the basket being aggressive he can t- get his points even when he's not making three pointers and when he is which we saw a couple times on the on this road trip a, a- that's when we saw 30 points from him in Washington
0: that's that's how he can he can be a real score in the nba and i'm not sure people appreciate necessarily what it means to not only be doing this as a rookie but to be doing it as a 20 year old rookie um i like the numbers i looked up uh basically how many points rookies have scored through so many games um and matherin is on the list with some really really impressive uh names even uh the names that aren't uh You know that people might not recognize these days, like Bill Cartwright. Bill Cartwright was an all-star caliber center um, for a long time. So that if that's your floor, you have to be really excited about what you've seen from him. Um, the free throws are really important, too. Uh, you know That's how you score lots of points in the NBA. You get to the line. When your shot's not falling, you can still get to the line. To be doing that as a rookie, um, usually there's all the talk about the veterans getting the calls and stuff like that. So to see him doing that as a rookie is really impressive. I mean, 20-year-olds don't score 30 points in a game like he did, uh, like he has so far. Um, and, and then talk about – I mean, obviously, Halliburton's the guy, but – with Halliburton and Matherin are a lot to be excited about just sort of talk about how they've played together from what you've seen so far
1: oh yeah it's interesting because they're on the floor together quite a bit even though they're not in the same like unit you know Halliburton has started every game Matherin comes off the bench but when they play together it their games mesh really well you've got Matherin who plays with this manic energy always looking to drive the ball and then Halliburton who's a little more passive, which isn't a bad thing, I think, in kind of a good way that he tries to make the right play. He's passed first, and that really works
0: out well, the kind of juxtaposition of his game with Matherin's. Yeah, and I like – I mean, another thing that you mentioned with Matherin, you've got to love his attitude. I mean, especially since – you know, you don't want a guy who gets the ball and puts his head down and goes to the basket every time, um, but he sort of has the attitude that he knows he can do that at any time, but he still plays generally within the flow. I'm sure he'll get better at it, but he still plays generally within the flow, and I'm sure Halliburton helps him with that because that's, I mean, that's what Halliburton does. He He establishes, he creates the flow for the team
1: oh yeah and to that point we saw that in Philadelphia Matherin was I think 0 for 7 in the first half he scored 17 in the second half and he was saying after the game oh there there was no difference you know the the shots were falling in the second half they weren't in the first half I was he was playing the same way you know trying to get get to the basket and so I think that's part of his game that we can see with that way that he plays that he can score points in bunches he can turn the switch on and off when it's not falling in the beginning
0: and again, just to see him doing this so quickly has been really impressive. Um, which leads us to our next point, which is, are the Pacers too good? <laughs> um, clearly they are not a team that is going, let's say, win a series in the playoffs. I don't think that they are that at this point, especially as strong as the East is. Um, so they need more players. Well established that the, the free agents you're getting to come here, you can get good free agents, you're not getting great free agents. They've got to do it through the draft they have to get another lottery pick and they have to get another a player who appears to be the level of impact that Matherin has. How good do you think they are at this point? I don't think they're a playoff team.
1: I don't think they can defend at the level consistently that they'll need to to make the playoffs. But yeah, they can win some games. I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the NBA, which I think was the expectation for a lot of people this year, which I mean, to the point of, are they too good? You know, Victor Wembanyama. that's still only what a one seven chance, even if you're the, even if you're the worst team in the league, but I think they have the potential to be interesting, which we might've known at the beginning, but they're going to score a lot of points. And because of that, they're never really going to be out of a game. We've seen it only eight games in the year. We've already seen it so many times. They fall behind high teens, 20 points and come back in the second half and it hasn't always they haven't always finished the comeback, but I think this is a team that's never really out of a game because of how quickly they can score, how fast they play. That's been a big emphasis. Halliburton especially tries to move the ball as much as he can. We discussed Matherin, and I think they can sc- they can score a lot. And I think for that reason, they're going to win some games. They're not going to be the worst team in the
0: NBA. And almost their most impressive game was, for me, it was might have been Monday against the Nets where. Obviously, all the the craziness and the you know the the, the garbage that Kyrie Irving has been doing, um, you know they they hammer the Nets that night. Clearly, you think that there's problems within the team. The next night, it seems like it's, it's out there, and maybe they've come together. Not how you want a team to come together by any stretch of the imagination, of course, but maybe it brought them together. They get up by 24 points, and you're thinking, I mean, this is again, this is Irving and Durant, and that's a lot of talent on the Nets team, um, but. I mean, they are they got a shot to – they had a shot to tie or go ahead late in the game. I mean, and it's just amazing to watch the Pacers play like that.
1: Yeah, the Nets games were tough to evaluate for me just because I'm not sure we know who the Nets are right now. You know, they just fired their, their coach. They're kind of in a free fall. They're a mess right now. But they're also just so talented, and that, that makes a difference. You know, there was – no one on the Pacers, I wrote the other day, that could guard Kevin Durant, which is not a slight against anyone in the Pacers. they are, like, single-digit players, if that, in the league who, who can guard him. But, yeah, just that they took the Nets' best punch in the first half and were able to recover and make it a game. That was That was
0: impressive. And I think, and that's not something, I mean, when people, obviously you are, you're new here, but when people have talked about the Pacers in recent years, it's really, it's a little bit, some of it's that they're boring, um, some of it is sort of you know what you're getting from them, which is they're going to be good but not quite good enough kind of thing. And you would like to think that this—the fans are going to notice that, like you say, this is an entertaining team, and this is a lot of—you know—they're a lot of fun to watch. Um, personally, and, and let's be honest here, this is a business, and the—you know—we're a media organization, and this is the business. The Pacers getting Victor Wembanyama would be bigger for the Pacers, but obviously, <laughs> but it's not a small thing for the Indianapolis Star either. So you are kind of looking for them to add talent. Um, I still think it's worth. Um I, I mean, you you got to tank. I'm sorry, I, I hate the concept of it. you know, I don't like in baseball, I don't understand tanking because I don't think the math works, but in the NBA, it hundred percent works. You have to get talent. Not only do you have to get talent, you have to get a lot of talent. The Oklahoma City, they got Durant, they got uh, Westbrook. It wasn't until they got Harden, you're talking about three Hall of Fame players and back-to-back-to-back years, and it wasn't until they got the third guy that they were an NBA contender, really. So you've got to understand just how much talent that you need. So I still think it's worth the one in seven chance. Especially you got Scoot Henderson's number two. So we're really talking about again just to the the karmic gods out there. I'm okay with either of the first two picks. I'm not going to get greedy here. I just want one or two. That's all. That's not too much to ask, is it? So and then there's other people. Uh, there's other players out there that that they've talked about who. In other years, might have been a number one pick, or were at least on the level of the the Bancaro Smith, um, Holmgren group that that came out this year. So it seems like this is the year to go after it. Um, I, I mean, I guess what's your what are your thoughts on the whole tanking process? Are you pro con? How does it? How do you? What are your thoughts on it? I think it makes sense, and I think I don't love using the
1: word tanking, but I think we'll see some more rebuilding this year. You know, Buddy Heald has. After this year, one year left on his contract, and he's a guy that any playoff team can use, a spot-up shooter, you know, he fills his role well. It's hard to imagine Miles Turner sticking around after uh, this past weekend. So I think we'll see some reshuffling, and that'll also give them a chance to uh, take a look at some other guys. You know, maybe if he leaves, we'd probably see a little more playing time off-ball for Andrew Nemhard, maybe. Kendall Brown, who's not with the team right now, he's with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, but I, they're happy with his potential and what they think he'll be able to do. And I think uh, Heald and Turner possibly getting traded at the deadline would open up some playing time and allow us to see some different lineups we haven't so uh, seen yet.
0: I am. Uh, we're definitely going to get to Miles Turner uh, momentarily in this podcast. I also want to say I don't know what else the NBA can do in terms of the tanking slash rebuilding, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and you know, we'll say it. I think everyone knows that the players aren't tanking. You know, no one. The players don't care about what's next. They care about right now, and they should. This is their chance and all that stuff. So, just to be clear, uh, I think Bill Simmons made a good point that you should cap the number of top three or top five picks a team can get. I think his number is three. Top three picks is the most. I really think – to me, honestly, you can make an argument that two the number. I mean, you should not be able to get more than two top three picks in a row. Maybe you want to do three top five, something like that. But I, I just – I mean, but that's really I, – I, unless you're going to give everybody who doesn't make the playoffs an equal chance – And I don't love that either because how is a bad team ever going to get better in that situation? I just don't know how much more you can skew it if you're the NBA. Um, But, again, to me, if you're running the Pacers, your goal is to produce the best team that you can over X number of years, whether that's three years, five years, whatever you want to say. And what produces the best team long term is getting a big-time talent when the opportunity is there. Especially when your opportunities are very limited um, to get those players, so I just don't know i mean I, again, I, I don't like the way that this is that it's set up. I don't think that's what's best for basketball, but I just don't see that there's another way to do it if you're the pacers i mean the uh, the, the the teams, uh, the Reggie Miller teams, were built with a combination of really shrewd drafting. And then Donnie Walsh was as good as it got at trading, making trades and adding players. Um, and then it was pretty much the same thing with the obviously the team with uh, um, Meta World Peace or Ron Artest, uh, you know, Jermaine O'Neal. That was again a combination of trades and good drafting. But again, it was heavily involved in trades. So, um, you know, that you don't win if you're the Pacers without drafting well and without making some trades. And I think they've got to make. Um, I mean – Kevin Pritchard's done a as the be, far and away the best job signing free agents of any Pacers general manager, and it's not even close. Dave, I mean, David West is the number one guy, but all you know, but uh, Bogdanovich, um, Darren Collison, all those guys were brought in by by Pritchard. Again, are, they're not superstars, but that's what you're going to get in Indianapolis. So I think um, it's in their best interest to to do what they can to increase their lottery their lottery odds uh, this year obviously getting healed uh trading healed makes just a ton of sense um and we'll get to Turner but uh I I just what's your what are your thoughts I mean the obvious trade we've all talked about it we don't need to spend a ton of time on it but is is Westbrook and the two draft picks from the Lakers for healed and Turner I mean what are your thoughts on that Wilson
1: that one has just never made a lot of sense to me because like you said it's the Pacers job is to build the best team in x number of years you figure they're in a kind of what three to five year rebuild with um, Matherin and Halliburton those 2027 and 2029 first rounders doesn't make a lot of sense and I understand the idea behind you have an extra asset but I don't think that helps especially much on the uh, on this rebuild they're trying to do getting to late 2020 first round picks i don't know the lakers have spent a lot of draft capital in the uh past couple of years i think they're getting stretched a little thin and i'm not sure what they have left to trade makes sense for the pacers and what they're trying to do
0: oh well that's why he's an intern because he's wrong but uh <laughs> clearly you want the late draft picks because they're on un- the big thing to me is what else are you going to get can you trade healed somewhere else. Obviously, you can't. But you're going to get I think at best a top 10 protected pick. So, and and frankly, you run the numbers and having anything outside the top 10 is really a roll of the dice in the NBA draft. Obviously, the higher the better, but it really is it's very hard to find players um or I shouldn't say that. You can find players, but you gotta get lucky. Um so to get the possibility that they're unprotected is and again they have to be unprotected because you can't trade beyond 2029 20, if you're the Lakers so if you do a protected 2027 20, pick the only thing you can get as the Pacers is second round picks because you can't get the 29 29, 20, 29 pick because you're already getting it and you can't do anything with draft capital after that, so they have to be unprotected in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, in any trade that you make. with, or the, They don't have to be, but you'd be crazy not to do it. Uh, I mean, you do make an, a, a good point. The real question here is do the Lakers want to do that? Do they want to risk giving up all their future um, for it? Um, that's the real question because to me, I mean, ideally, sure, you'd rather have unprotected picks now, but like you say, you, they're, they're assets. You can trade them. They'd be very valuable trade assets also it's not like you're not going to need players in 2027 or 2029 too um and if you're trying to not maybe not be quite as good now <laughs> it makes sense to not add assets immediately but uh um, well and we'll we'll i mean let's let's we'll deal with turner um he did a podcast with adrian wojnarowski um in which he said the lakers ought to come trade him you're new to the Miles Turner. This is not a new thing for Miles. So what? since you're new to it, what was your reaction when you saw that, uh, when, when, when you saw it? My reaction was that's obviously not a
1: great thing for a guy <laughs> playing for another NBA team to say, to say. With that said, I think Turner was in a kind of difficult spot given the question he was asked was, should the Lakers trade for you? Which... He probably should have just not commented. But between yes or no, that is a tricky situation. So I'll give it to Turner. But just that was just a kind of bizarre thing to have come across the timeline on Twitter to see, oh, Miles Turner is actively talking about
0: how another team should trade for him. That was definitely different in that it was in the season. Obviously, Paul George asked for a trade very publicly. Um, Oladipo very clearly. And that was in season. Oladipo clearly made it. Victor Oladipo made it clear that he wanted to get traded. So maybe it's not that new. Uh, it, but, it, I mean, Miles Turner has done the – I've always been a on-the-court Miles Turner supporter. He blocks shots. He hits threes. He's not the – world. I mean, he's a – you know, if he's a 33% three-point shooter, that's, that's good enough. You want him to be better, but that's good enough. So that's a valuable player. That's a player who can fit in on any team – And be a really good team. As long as he's willing to be the fourth best option on offense, he can play for anyone. So I've always said why, you know, you want players like Miles Turner. It sure seems like he's not going to be here next year. Uh, There's all kinds of chatter out there about how much money he expects to get. Uh, It just makes too much sense to deal him. But I mean he did this too. He he put up a bat signal on the whatever the, the was the Staples Center la- last season basically saying the Lakers, you know, he could come rake, rescue the Lakers. Um Greg Doyle our columnist has been all over this that Miles talks a lot without um be- then without backing it up. The talent's certainly there. I mean he again, he's a really good on-court player. Um but it is a little odd some of the things he does off the court. You make a good point though. I hadn't really thought about that, but when you're asked the question um you that's putting you on the spot. And what do you want the player to say? I no, no they I mean what, why would they want me? No, you can't say that. So yeah, but you're right. He probably should have just said, oh, "I'm not going to go there. It's not my place." But that's not the way Miles uh is. So, which is good and bad. So, did you get any sense of where he fits in with the team from traveling them how the other players see him anything along those lines? Um from everything I've gotten, uh he's well
1: respected on the team. He's a leader. He's One of the older players on this team, which is kind of funny because he's 26, and that says more about how young this team is. But he's a leader, he's a defensive anchor, and for now, he's one of their better players. Where things will be in two months, who knows? But right now, I think he's in a pretty good standing on the team. I don't know exactly what the collective reaction to that was. No one's going to say, like, oh, we were really upset about that, so it makes me wonder, but... Based on everything up to that point, um, from
0: my understanding, he's well-respected a leader on the Pacers. Uh, yeah, and the other thing that's interesting to me is he's kind of a piece that they need, if not Turner specifically, they need because all their, a lot of their talent is focused in the backcourt or the wings right now, I guess I should say. Um, when I grew up, you there was a difference between shooting guards and small forwards, and there really isn't anymore. more. Uh, so we'll just call them wings. Um, but uh, if you get one win manana, great. But if but all the other top prospects are are wings, so and I mean, we haven't talked about Chris Duarte, but he's another one. And uh, you know if you get you with Matherin, with Duarte, with Halliburton, that's three really good you know wing players. And if the best player you're going to draft is a wing too, you're starting to wonder where you're finding playing time. This is a little. This is sort of like you know complaining about the the china pattern on the titanic while well, it's sinking if you're where the Pacers are at all you want is talent and that's all that matters but it is interesting to me that Turner is more of a player that they kind of need than they they need another wing that's why i suggested mo- you know jokingly on twitter that they could throw Duarte into the Lakers deal most people told me i was an idiot i still stand by the fact that if you can get the picks and you have to throw Duarte in then i think i would do it um, but I understand why people. But he is a young, he's talented, he's younger. Uh, and, and you just recently wrote about him. He started off poorly shooting wise, um, but just sort of, and then, but, and then has a career high on on Monday against the Nets. Uh, take us through what you wrote about uh, Chris Duarte and what you've seen from him. Yeah, Duarte is an
1: interesting case because he will tell you, and Rick Carlisle will tell you, beyond you know, he had a couple rough games at the beginning, but for the most part, he's played well this year. Um, he hasn't made shots. His Three-point percentage is way down from where it was a year ago, but he's still a quality defensive player. He does the things he he needs to do. The scoring just hasn't been there. And I think that's a big part in just the Pacers have different personnel this year than they did last year. They got Halliburton and Heald at the trade deadline, and Halliburton this year especially is making a much larger emphasis to take more shots, to go to the rim more. And they have Matherin, who's taking 15— Shots a game, the points aren't there for duarte any anymore, and again, he hasn't shot very well, so that's been part of it. But his role and what he has to do has changed and until uh was it just last night, two nights ago, when he got hot and he showed he still can score. So duarte is an interesting case for me because if nothing else, he can provide defense and just do the little things you need a guy a guy to do at shooting guard and then last night he showed he can still score so he still has that he still has that capability.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting the story uh which is of course available on anystar.com in that Carlisle basically said he had no issues with Duarte, which is the coach going to come out and say I got issues with him? No, but he would not have answered the questions the way he did about his defense, about the other stuff he's doing out there. Uh, to me the big question is Duarte a 12-point-a-night scorer who plays defense and moves the ball and can hit threes, or is he 18-point-a-game uh, a, point a game scorer who can do those things? And those are two very different players, but they're both useful. And, again, if you're adding a bunch of scoring talent on the perimeter – having a guy who's okay be, you know, not scoring as much is, you know, that would be valuable too for the Pacers moving forward. Um, Let's uh, we'll real quick hit on a couple of uh, of players, just what you've seen. Um, Naismith, uh, he moved into the starting lineup in place of of Duarte. Uh, Just what were your – what are your quick thoughts on him? He is something they don't have a lot of, which is a
1: guy who is defense first, and we'll see how he develops offensively. He's played well defensively. He had a game or two where he was – knocking down three pointers right now he's injured it doesn't sound like that's anything seriously but I think he's an intriguing guy because if he can develop a reliable jump shot he can be a really solid
0: two-way player and you would think he I mean that's what he came into the league with as a reputation as a shooter and scorer so uh, um, what about Nebhard there for the, the first pick of the second round last in the most recent draft
1: Nemhard's real intriguing. He has shown a kind of feel for the game, that almost Halliburton-esque ability to find guys to run the offense. I think his ability to kind of slow things down and be calm is impressive for a dude who's played seven career games. Um, He is another guy who we kind of touched on this earlier. If Heald gets traded, he could see more playing time because Carlisle's shown a willingness to play him off the ball, with Halliburton and T.J. McConnell,
0: and I would yeah, McConnell's another one who you got to think they're going to trade. I, I would think they're just getting a second round pick for him, but he's a nice. I was I thought he was just a guy when they signed him, um, but I was wrong. I mean, he he he's one of the weirdest players in the NBA because if you add up, he he's got like one of the lowest number of three pointers plus dunks. Most people do one or the other. Oh, some, the really great players do both. He does neither, It's And that's just very weird. So he's a weird player, but he's really helpful and useful. I would assume they're going to be able to deal him uh, for a second-round pick at some point. Um, Jalen Smith, you wrote a big profile on him to start the season. Uh, he's been a little bit up and down, but what if, again, quick thoughts on how he's been.
1: He has all the tools you could want from a power forward in the NBA. He can, he can shoot, he can protect the rim, he can put the ball on the floor. A big thing with him has just been, and he's talked about this a lot, just playing with energy. When he comes out and he is aggressive and he attacks the basket and he looks for his shot, he is a much, much better player than what we've seen a couple times this year where he's just kind of sleep, been sleepwalking through a game and hasn't really been able to find his rhythm.
0: Anyone else uh, you have quick thoughts on?
1: Anyone I'm missing? Um, Isaiah Jackson has been interesting a guy who can he said um, at the beginning of the season he worked on his perimeter game we haven't really seen a lot of that but we see what he can do and how he can contribute and that's running the floor crashing the boards protecting the rim as um, when he kind of accepts and embraces that role as the kind of Clint Capella type like rim runner that is when he's at his best and we saw that um, especially that first game in Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, again, this is nothing new. The fouls are a problem. He's one of those players that his, like, per-minute production is insane, and you wonder if can he do that over 36 minutes, 32 minutes, whatever it is, because it's, it's, he can score, he can rebound, and he can block shots, and he does them all at a high rate, and it'll just be interesting to see if he can ever get the fouls under control. And then there's some guys who are really good in limited exposure and then can't, translate all of it I don't think anyone translates gonna it's not like he's gonna score 32 points and grab 15 rebounds and block eight shots a game but you know there's no reason to think he can't be a 2010 and three guy um based on what he's shown so yeah that's a good point he's another really intriguing guy uh we'll wrap up with the three-point shooting they set a record uh in the first game against the Nets on Saturday hitting 20 two 23 23 threes um and then they missed their first 12 the next night but then and I was diligently looking up what's the most what's the biggest drop in three pointers from one game to the next and by the second half I was like I'm wasting my time because they're gonna hit a bunch in the second half um obviously that's a huge part of the game it's something that the Pacers were a little slow to embrace because of the personnel uh but just talk about what you've seen in terms of their three-point shooting
1: yeah Buddy Heald has been the catalyst for that he started off Kind of cold from three, and then f- between Philadelphia to the end of Brooklyn, he hasn't been able to miss from three-point range. He's been the big part of that. Tyrese Halliburton has always been an above-average three-point point shooter, and Matherin can stroke it. And those three guys, especially that record-setting night, the first night in Brooklyn— they've really been the catalyst for things.
0: And that, the, that night, my uh, stats uh, did help us out. The first time any uh, the Pacers have had three guys hit at least five threes in a game, and then Duarte hit three himself, sort of breaking out of his slump there as well. But, uh, um, it's, yeah, it's been – and there were some questions about Matherin sh- shooting when he came in, whether – I mean, I, I think everybody thought he was going to get there. There were some questions about whether he was going to – how long it was going to take. So to see him shooting threes the way he is right now, uh, is pretty. Uh, I, I mean, is a great again a great sign. I mean, I just, you just can't be too excited about Matherin. But uh, well, Wilson will be on the beat for uh, the rest of this week at least. Uh, we are planning on announcing a new Pacers beat writer uh, soon. We just got to get through all the paperwork. Uh, Wilson, I I. I, I can't imagine as an intern you thought you were gonna get this chance to go on a road trip with an NBA team. Um, one of the reasons we did it is because we love the work you've done, and if anyone who's uh, looking for a sports writer uh, who's listening to this, certainly look Wilson up. Not too soon, we still need him, but eventually. Um, what uh, you know? What jumped out the most from you from this from the road trip from what it's been like so far covering the Pacers? That either I mean, just what maybe what didn't you expect, or what was different than you expected?
1: It's an interesting question. Um, And
0: I just sprung this on him. He had no preparation for it.
1: I think just watching the evolution of this team has been interesting. We see them on the good nights and the bad nights. We see them make 23 23 three-pointers and then go go 0 for 12. And that's the most interesting thing about a team, I think, that's got a bunch of 20, 21, 22-year-olds, is they're still figuring themselves out and going on the road, watching them every night we are kind of seeing them figure themselves out in real time and understand who they are and who they can be.
0: And again, uh, I would much prefer that they take a little bit more time to figure themselves out. But but again, hey, thank you for listening to the Pacing the Pacers podcast by Indystar. Uh Please go to IndyStar.com and you'll get all of Wilson's work uh, as well as Greg Doyle's uh, column on Miles Turner as well as many other Pacers stories. Thank you for listening. <laughs>